Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 5 of Genesis chapter 9. We're going to begin by reading verse 7. And you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. Now, um, this verse seems to be sort of overdoing it uh, as far as God commanding to be fruitful and multiply. Remember back in verse 1 of this same chapter. It said there, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, or fill the earth. And then uh, we've gone through the verses where the Lord is emphasizing uh, concerning not eating uh, flesh with blood, and his law that anyone who spills blood or sheds blood, their blood must be shed. And and then he comes right back again in verse 7, And you, be ye fruitful and multiply. So he's repeating what he said in verse 1. And if that were not enough, then it goes on to say, Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. We're told to multiply two times in one verse, after already being commanded to multiply back in verse 1. Why is the Lord stressing multiplying to the degree that he is? Why the tremendous significance? And and we can be sure that God is highlighting this idea. You know, this is the Bible, and, and God's word is law. And if God says something once, it's law. There really is no need for God to say it a second time or a third time. Sometimes he repeats something several times, many times. And when that happens, then we're being directed. Take a look at this. Look a little bit closer at what God is saying. And and so we're going to do that. Now, we've already looked at the physical aspect of the command. We, we've talked about that in previous studies where God says to mankind, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, that that is the commandment, that is the law of God. Man is subject to the law of God because all human beings are married to the law of God. In our fallen condition, God's elect were made dead to the law so that they could marry another, the Lord Jesus Christ. So all those that have not been made dead to the law through salvation, through what Christ has done on their behalf, remain married to the law of God. Romans chapter 7 spells that out. There's a spiritual marriage between mankind and the law of God, the Bible. And that's why when 
people fail to keep the word of God, to obey, and when they transgress, God views them as adulterers and adulteresses. They have committed spiritual adultery, spiritual fornication against their husband, the word of God, the Bible. And so when God commands, it is a commandment that all human beings are subject to, all of the unsaved are subject to it because they're they're married to the law of God. All of the saved are subject to it in the sense that they have a deep desire to do the will of God. As Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So the elect have a different sort of a viewpoint on it or or relationship to the law because of their salvation they have this good desire to do the will of God to show forth love for Christ and the unsaved are bound to the law obligated to keep it and when they fail to keep it every time the law is pronouncing death upon them the wages of sin is death and so God's law commands all mankind, every human being in all the world, multiply, be fruitful, and fill the earth. And and so, of course, that is to work itself out through marriage. Uh, an individual who is unmarried and living with someone and, and they're having children, well, they they might say, well, you see, I'm obeying the command of God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And no, because this has to be read in the light of all that the Bible says, and God stipulates elsewhere that children are a blessing that he gives through marriage, that anyone uh, having sexual relations outside of marriage is involved in adultery, the sin of adultery, and Yes, children can be conceived and born into the world that way, but it is not the way that God is speaking of when he commands to multiply and fill the earth. Well, okay, we've talked about that. We know that a child of God desirous to do the will of God will not engage in birth control activity of any kind. They certainly will not abort or murder their child they, they will submit to the law of God, submit to God's will, and leave childbearing and everything related to children in God's hands. Whatever you will, Lord, if, if you will that we have one or ten, whatever you will, we will not seek to prevent it or to do anything to to usurp your authority, you command, and and you are the one who must bless the, the physical union to bring forth children. Therefore, it's under your power and control. So we know that with physical reproduction, the, the physical uh, fruitfulness. But since God says it again, we we need to look at this word once more. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiply is 7235 in Strong's Concordance in the Hebrew. 
And it's the same word used twice in verse 7, and, and it's the same word that was back in verse 1. Be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. And when we look at this word, we find that it can and is used in relationship to spiritual multiplication. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says in verse 1, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which Jehovah swear unto your fathers. Here we find that same word, but notice how it's being used regarding obeying God's commandments. If you obey his commandments, you live and multiply and go in and possess the land. That's the promised land. And there's two ways of obeying God's commandments. One is you place yourself under the whole law. You're married to the law. The law demands obedience. It, it, It demands faithfulness on every point. So you place yourself under a law and you keep the whole law. But of course, no one can. No one can even begin to do that, really. And and that's always a failure. And the person always comes under the condemnation of the law. And the jealous husband, the law, stones the individual to death, as it were, for the transgression, the breaking of the covenant, the breaking of the law. And the second way to um, obey God's commandments that he has commanded to do them in order to live is for God to save the person, to give them a new heart and a new spirit that is perfect and is able to keep the entire law of God perfectly without error, without sin. And and that's what the new born-again heart does. And that's why First John in the New Testament tells us that the one born again is without sin. There's no sin because it's a perfect heart. It's a resurrected heart. Just as later at the end of the world we'll have resurrected bodies that will have the ability to be perfect. There will be no more sin in the body. That, that new resurrected spiritual body. So now in this life when God saves us we have no sin in our soul. And, and therefore we keep God's commandments, we live and multiply and go in and possess the land. We have citizenship already in the kingdom of God and we're waiting for that final day of transference with our body as well when we enter into the new heaven and new earth. It's said again in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 16, In that I command thee this day to love Jehovah thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And Jehovah thy God shall bless thee in the land, whither thou goest to possess it. And again we see that to love Jehovah thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, 
is what leads to living and multiplying in a spiritual sense. And also, it is the way in which there is entry gained into the land, the promised land or the kingdom of God. Now, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, it says, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. This is a historical, physical reference to the multiplication of the nation of Israel during their time of captivity in the land of Egypt. But spiritually, it points to the multiplication of God's spiritual Israel in the world typified by Egypt over the course of time when God saves a people for himself. And and we see the same wording, be fruitful or, or fruitfulness and uh, an abundant increase and multiplication is used in association. Or um, to see it even more clearly, if we go to Genesis chapter 17, it says in verse 1, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, Jehovah appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. There, in verse 1, we see how that relates to the verses we read in Deuteronomy in chapter 8, verse 1 and chapter 30, verse 16, regarding keeping God's commandments and you live and multiply. And here, the Lord speaks of walking before him, that is, walk in his commandments. Be thou perfect. The only way to be perfect is to uphold every law, every commandment, every statute. And the only way that can be accomplished, as we mentioned before, is through salvation. After God saves us, we have the ability in our new soul to be perfect and keep his commandments. Anyone attempting to get saved through that method of keeping the law will come under the law's condemnation, and and we already mentioned that. But notice, I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. It goes on to say in verse 6, of Genesis 17, I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And a similar thing is said in Genesis 22, beginning in verse 15, And the angel of Jehovah called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith Jehovah, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. This is the promise the covenant that God made with Abraham concerning his seed 
and we know we'll take a look at this um, uh, a little later on, that the seed was singular back in Genesis 17, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, but all of the elect are in Christ and therefore counted for the seed, and that is what God has in mind when he speaks of blessing, I will bless thee, and in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. The only way God can multiply the seed of the elect is through the sending forth of his word, the gospel into the world, the blessing of that word to the ears of those that hear it as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and the saving of them. That's why, for instance, we we read of God's wonderful completion of his salvation program in Revelation chapter 7, and it says in verse 9, After this I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. A great multitude became saved. Later in Revelation 7, we're told that they came out of great tribulation. God multiplied the seed. He multiplied the elect until the last one whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life was saved. So spiritually, the command of Genesis 9, verse 7, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein, does have a spiritual dimension, and it points to the sending forth of the gospel, and as people are begotten through the word of God, the word of God is the mother, God and the Holy Spirit bless the word to the hearts of the elect and they become saved, they're begotten. They have been born again and the word has been fruitful. The Lord's people have been fruitful in their faithfulness and sharing that word that has resulted in a new birth, a new born again soul. And, and so this commandment to Noah is looking ahead for thousands of years. Thousands of years. This is the year 4989 B.C. And it will be in effect all throughout the Old Testament period into the New Testament age for 1955 years of the church age. And, and then especially during that 23-year Great Tribulation, the last about 17 years of the latter reign, wherein the great multitude became saved, there will be multiplying. This, the seed will be increasing. God's people will be fruitful and obedient spiritually to this command. Okay, let's go on here in Genesis 9, and we'll read from verse 8. And God spake unto Noah, and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, 
from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth, and shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And I'll stop reading there. So God is speaking to Noah once again and to his sons with him, saying in verse 9, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. It sounds very much like the covenant that God will make with Abraham in in a few thousand years. Um, Abraham is... 2167, over 2,500 years from, from Genesis 9 until Abraham is even born. And then, uh, decades after that, God will make the covenant with Abram and he'll become Abraham and he will make the covenant with him and his seed, singular. Here in Genesis 9 verse 9, God is making the covenant with Noah and his seed, his sons, and, and all the later descendants. Now here in Genesis 9-9, the, the Hebrew word translated as seed is plural. It's not singular. God reserves that apparently for the later declaration he'll make to Abraham. But here the covenant really has the same idea. It, it's the same picture as Noah is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God makes the covenant with Noah and his seed. And his sons would represent the elect people of God. Just as Christ is is the seed and all those in him are counted for the seed. And so at an early time, actually we saw this back in Genesis chapter 6. This is when the first mention of the Hebrew word for covenant, berith, is made in Genesis 6, verse 18. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And we saw when we were looking at this verse in in chapter 6 that God was picturing his salvation program. It's the covenant of the gospel or of the word of God. And it was foretelling all that would enter into the ark or all that would become saved. It basically was prefiguring predestination and God's entire salvation program. That all that he makes a covenant with, and again, he makes it with Noah and his sons and so forth. And and that pictures the covenant between Christ and his elect people. So we have an early covenant made 
with a child of God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, just like God later makes the covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And really, the covenant is with all the people of God, just as the covenant made with Noah spiritually points to a covenant with all the people of God. The sign of the covenant made with Abraham was circumcision. The sign or token of the covenant made with Noah is the bow. The bow placed in the cloud. As God says, I do set my bow in the cloud in verse 13, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. So God made a covenant with Noah. He made a covenant with the animals. He made a covenant with the creation, the earth, and he testifies that he would not again destroy the world with a flood. And God has upheld his end of that covenant all through history. Uh, there, there have been floods, local floods. Maybe a whole city has been flooded. Yes, that's possible. Towns. People can die in floods still when, when there's a hurricane and storms and, and, uh, they overcome an area. Yes, but insofar as the entire world is concerned, and that was the nature of Noah's flood, there has never been another recorded instance of a worldwide flood that God made special preparation and carried it out in a very special way in order to bring about the flood of Noah's day and he has no plans to repeat it. And so when we see the rain today, especially there's been maybe a very bad storm and much rain has fallen, we still see today, this is amazing, but when we look up into the clouds, um, from time to time, we see a rainbow. We see a bow. And it's a reminder that God, long ago, in the year 4989, which is now over 7,000 years ago, in that year, God set his bow in the clouds. And, and we read nothing about a rainbow before this time. So, apparently, the Lord designed the bow and implemented it. That is, from this point on in the world, from 4989 until our present time, certain circumstances, uh, as far as weather conditions, when, when they would come into effect, a rainbow would appear. And God is the author of the rainbow. He's the one that designed it. He's the one that causes it. And it makes an appearance. And everyone, when they see a rainbow, still today, it's a wondrous thing because it's full of colors and it's very attractive. And it causes the eyes to look up into the sky. And we go, wow, look at it. And, And people tell their friends or their family, look at that rainbow. And whether the people looking at the rainbow are aware of it or not, that was set there by God 
as a testimony, a long-standing declaration, a long-standing promise, God will not destroy the earth again by a flood. Of course, that doesn't mean he will not destroy it by fire. That is his plan, as Second Peter 3 reveals, to destroy the world and the heavens with fire, but never again by a flood. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.